Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Mark Boris Podcast. Good morning. Uh, here we are uh, doing the TMBS. I don't know, TMBS sounds better than Mark Borussia. It sounds a bit egotistic, Mark Borussia. The TM... Can't call it the TMBS. TMBS. Um, right. Uh, new month. I can't believe how quickly this month's flown. And what's probably pretty important is that um, the RBA had its first board meeting uh, yesterday, um, being the first Tuesday of, of the month um, in 2016. Of course, they don't have a meeting in January. They have a week off, a, a month off. Um, so when they're all sitting around having a Lamington, Lamingtons and a cup of tea... Celebrating Australia Day yesterday in the RBA meeting at 2.31, they came out and they decided to keep interest rates on hold. So let's quickly have a look at what that means because generally speaking, we get a bit of an idea of what's going on in the world, our world, Australia that is, um, and they usually opine on what is going on globally um, in order to make their decision um, to hold the interest rates or increase interest rates or, or reduce interest rates. And um, so it's quite a, a highly uh, anticipated outcome this first meeting in every year. And they basically said that uh, Australia's growth is okay, but uh, it's not going at the, at the rates that they would like to see it happen. In other words, our growth's not having happening above 3% per annum. It's sort of way below 3% per annum. They did say that inflation is giving them plenty of leverage. In other words, inflation is so low that they have leverage to reduce interest rates again if they need to. Um, they then talked about what's going on in, in relation to commodity prices and that um, uh, they gave views on the um, the uh, very low commodity prices uh, globally and how that's affecting Australia's um, um, balance of trade. And, uh, of course, that's been a big issue. And if you go back two years ago, it was actually the opposite conversation. They talked about how um, commodity prices are at an all-time high and how our terms of trade were much better relative to when we ever before in our in our history. So... Uh, that's quite a significant change. Uh, they did talk about um, business investment um, not travelling at the rate they would like to see it happen. So business investment is low. Of course, non-mining uh, mining investment, I should say, is also low for the, all the obvious reasons. Um, you know, we're reading about you know Clive Palmer's uh, mines stopping and their production business is stopping, and that's not that's just one. There are hundreds of mining companies who are stop um, exploring and or producing because it's no longer viable given the price of the commodity that they're. Um, producing relative to the cost of producing it. So um, overall, you know, one would expect to have a, a pretty negative view on what's going on in Australia when you consider what's going on in Brazil, what's, how you consider uh, China. China is our second largest market, or it's our largest export market, second largest economy in the world. Um, we don't know whether it's going well or not going well um, other than what they tell us. And 
what they tell us is it's growing at a rate which is the slowest growth rate last quarter in China in the last 25 years. So there's not a pretty picture out there. We've got massive volatility in the markets, the stock markets. It's the most volatile uh, January in history in terms of the global stock markets. So, you know, there's a little uneasiness out there. And, of course, we've got our regulator locally sort of putting the uh, foot on the throat of house prices by um, um, uh, putting pressure on banks to put interest rates up. Uh, so that uh, and and by putting a cap on the amount of amount of money that they can lend to investors, and that's actually had an effect. So we've seen for the first time Sydney house prices come back in a quarter. So in other words, Sydney house prices in the last quarter went down by three percent, which is pretty crazy. Um, but that's you know that's a sort of a, a, a direct reflection of what the regulators doing in relation to house prices in this country and to banks who lend money, which actually affects the house prices. So we've got a an overall messy sort of economy. Um, so what did the Reserve Bank say in relation to all that? I mean, they talked about all those things. They had an unusually long um, RBA statement this time. Normally, it's just a, about two-thirds to three-quarters of a page. This one was a little more than a page. They basically said in the last paragraph that, look, given global volatility, given our local growth, and given the international market, the way the market's working internationally, we, the Reserve Bank, think currently the interest rate is accommodative enough, in other words, good enough to promote growth, but we do and we do leave the door open, this is their word, not their words, but my interpretation of their words, we do leave the door open for further interest rate reductions because we do have the, the luxury of doing so because our inflation numbers are very, very low. So in other words, they sort of indicated to me that they're going to have a look and see and wait for more data to come out. And if more data comes out and if the global economies start to falter more, in other words, the volatility that we're seeing at the moment actually becomes, is no longer just as people being scaredy cats, but actually something bad happens, um, then the Reserve Bank is saying that they are in a position to reduce rates further. <clears throat> now, what does that mean for local borrowers? And usually most of our local borrowers in this country are borrowing money for homes. But it doesn't mean you're going to get some sort of... Um, uh, reduction in your interest rate. Because on the flip side of it, banks by the end, by June this year, to comply with their capital requirements, both at the, uh, both at the regulated, local regulators level and at the level that's required on the, under the, the Basel conventions, uh, must raise a lot more money between here and June this year. Now, they've been slowly but surely doing it, but as a result of that, cost of funds is much greater to the local banks and the local banks are going to try and gouge back um, more interest rate recovery. So irrespective of what the Reserve Bank does, um, the local banks in Australia will put up interest rates now. So they're going to go up from here. So on one hand, we're, going to, we, 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 you know, we're hearing, oh, wow, interest rates might go down because the RBA might reduce rates, is what I just said. But on the flip side, what I'm going to tell you, no matter what the RBA does, the local banks must increase their margin or maintain their margin. So they're going to put rates up at some stage. Now, when it's going to happen, I've got no idea, not a clue. But um, I, I reckon it's going to be before, be before June. That's just a guess. And it's not just going to be on investor loans. I think it'll be on owner-occupied loans because, because of this reason. Because the banks um, now have a less, a lower percentage of their total book is in investment loans because since August last year, they've been lending less money to investors because the regulators made them do that. And even though they put up investor rates late last year, um, because that percentage is lower than it ever has been, it no longer um, gives them the increase in margin that they used to get six months ago. So now they have to look at putting up interest rates on the owner-occupier loans. 
And owner-occupier loans, of course, cover a much, like a huge percentage of the book of every bank. And you can't put up the owner-occupier rate on one borrower. You have to put it across the whole board. So my gut feeling is um, our biggest risk in this country is an increase in interest rates across the board for all borrowers in this country, whether you're an investor or an owner-occupier, an interest rate increase at a time when the economy's not going great. And that would just actually completely stamp um, our economic future for the next couple of years. One or two rate rises across the board in this country will probably hurt us a lot. So banks have an obligation to their shareholders, not to the economy, um, and, uh, and not to their customers either, to their shareholders. That's their primary obligation. They've got to give a rate of return to their shareholders. So um, it's a big debate, I'd say, within the bank banking closed doors of banks, um, what they should do and when they should do it and how, by how much. But I think that's the thing you've got to keep out an eye out for, uh, those signs that the banks are going to do it. And the first time one bank goes, they're all going to go. Um, no one's going to sit around being an outlier. No one's going to say, oh, we didn't put our rates up whilst everyone else did. They're all going to put their rates up because of this obligation to get the greatest return for their shareholders and to attract as much equity into their stock as they possibly can. So that's my what I think is going to happen. That's the start of the year. Um, look out for it. Right, what have we got, Nico? Nick Boris? So, so mate, I, I think firstly there's some, there's some upside to the uh, some share market volatility and, and reduction in asset prices. I noticed uh, it's probably good for your negotiating position. You, I noticed last night you finalised the, uh, the the buy-in of the Batuta Advocate. Yeah, 15%. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, that was a tough negotiation with the Batuta boys. Uh, they're pretty, they're the, pretty savvy. The, the video looked pretty scary. What was going on? What was going through your mind there when you saw uh, Errol and Clancy in your office waiting for you? Well, I, th- I thought to myself, I've been sort of hunting around buying into the Batuta for a long time, and what Can you I disclose any any acquisition, any any prices, or, or have you checked your MX statement the, by the way? The cost of the investment. Well, I, I feel like I've been robbed because uh, <laughs> I mean they've taken at least ten percent of my total net wealth in one <laughs> in one go. So they, look, they've got a good business, and their their financial uh, their financial model, like their business model, is pretty was, good, Nick. Who was who was <clears throat> in charge there of the, of that negotiation? Because it looked like they were trying to employ some intimidation tactics. They were. They were. They were standing behind me. They were standing in front of me. Yeah. They were sort of semi threatening. It's old school Kerry Packer sort of uh, yeah. technique they were using, and uh, yeah. it was very good. I must say, they were sitting in my seat. Yeah. Um, they were in the room. They filmed it, which is even worse. I mean, like you know, that you, I mean, yeah. I I wonder whether under the anti surveillance legislation I could have a go at them because <laughs> I, I didn't consent to the filming. Are you that, new business partners? Are you, uh, I, I, that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm sort of stuck <laughs> between a uh, rock and a hard place. I mean, they. Yeah. I mean, they're my new business partners, but they, they, without my consent, they filmed me. And then they, what they did is they put it up in their own publication. So they committed two breaches of the law. Yeah. Um, they, they filmed me without my consent. They took audio without my consent, and then they published it without my consent. Sure. But now, what am I going to do? I'm going to sue the company I now own a percentage of. I mean, what, there's no point in that. Um, you know, like that's robbing Peter to pay Paul. At least you're getting a million UVs a month. That's that's two million eyeballs. Two, my, <laughs> two million eyeballs. Yeah, and uh, that's right. That's actually yeah. be, it's uh, better than one million eyeballs or one million pairs of eyeballs. Yeah. <laughs> but they could be reading two things there's at a, once, most people. They wrote something else about you the other day as well, the reshuffle of the Forbes rich list. Yeah, I saw that. And that's what I'm saying. Well, but a large part of my... invasion of your privacy. An, uh, another invasion of my privacy, Nick, and, uh, and a large bump up in the value. My value actually is a result of buying them. <laughs> so... So, creative transaction, well absolutely creative, and uh, yeah. they're not bad negotiators for young blokes. Um, yeah. you know, they're obviously sort of learned a lot by you know biting the dry dust out there at Batuta, and uh, you know they've they've come in with a lot of toughness. They're pretty tough sort of characters. Yeah, country folk. 
Countryfolk, but yeah. but down to earth, basic sort of people. Like they've read them tough in Batuta. Well, you know what's interesting is more people read the Batuta uh, Advocate than read the Daily Telegraph. Mm. That's amazing. That's and uh, I mean, uh, what would you value the Daily Telegraph? Like, imagine if you know you could get a big percentage of News Limited. It's a great job, great job. I actually picked up some negotiating tips from them um, after our show last week, but I've, I've got my uh, cowboy hat and my cowboy boots Cobra, and, yeah. and my rollies for uh, a couple of meetings today, so I'll see how that goes. <laughs> rollies are important, especially, I don't, know if, I don't know if they film this part, but they kept blowing smoke in my face <laughs> and, uh, and putting cigarettes out on my carpet and stuff like that, sort of showing complete disrespect for me. And that sort of actually made me respect them. Uh, I respect them that they'll be disrespectful. Me, it was only tobacco. It was, uh, well, I'm not sure, but it had a funny smell about it. But they kept saying it was some sort of Indian herb. And, uh, of course, I'm going to believe them because I wouldn't know. But uh, it, it was quite interesting, you know, disrespect garners respect. I, I just, I mean, I, they had me completely confused. Uh, that, that was, I that think was they got everyone confused. Good skills. Good skills. It's, uh, it's, it's what do they call it, uh, subterfuge, you know. Subterfuge. Yeah, they, uh, misdirection. They've got you thinking about one thing when they're trying to do something else on your on your. What right was a tall dude's guy? I shouldn't remember because he's one of my partners. Cl- Clancy Overall. It's overalls? O- overall. Because uh, yeah, it's funny <laughs> because at one stage there I stood up face-to-face to him and uh, I thought he wanted to punch on or something, like that, but he grabbed me right on the nuts. <laughs> and uh, and he said, are you going to accept this last term? Because you know, we were arguing over the last term. You earn out. And I, and I just, I tapped out, I tapped out, <laughs> I tapped out, I said, you've got me by the nuts. Yeah. yeah and uh, and I, I didn't know what to do. I, I lit- literally got me by the nuts and I gave in. I said, okay, you can have that term and then I um, signed willingly. That's how they make the cows up there in Batuta do what they want to do. They grab, grab them by the testicles and they... They're not so cows, they're, Nick. They're, they're bulls, Nick. They're not cows. Sorry, the, bull, the bulls, the bulls. Cow, cows have, cows I'm not, have I'm not, I'm not country folk. Uh, <laughs> well, you're going to have to learn about this, Nick, because this is something. This is your inheritance, mate. This is a big part of your inheritance. Look, the 40 head of cattle we've got. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So Australia's next biggest no, cattle No, but Tudor. is in your inheritance. Oh, Batuta, you might have yeah, to relocate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're the, we're, the, we're the media up there in Batuta. Well, which family member I've got to send up there, I'm not sure, but it could be it's the two, one of the two youngest, I think, because they, they like young men up there, so... <laughs> as a shortest young man, so I th- I wasn't thinking about sending MGB next Mexicano up there for those who <laughs> want to follow me on Instagram, MGB Mexicano uh, or or Jimmy the Punts. Um, I'm not sure which one I'm going to send up. <laughs> Jimmy the Punts being the younger Boris. You might have boy. to put it to him today at lunch. Yeah, well, actually, I'm having lunch with him. You have lunch with him too? Yeah, I'll be okay, there cool. Yeah. It's his birthday tomorrow. No, this no, week. No, no, it's Sunday. Uh, yeah, next is it next Sunday, week? Sunday, seventh, okay. seventh. <laughs> All right, what are we doing here, Nick? What are we doing? So, um, I, look, I had um, had dinner with a good friend of mine, um, old business partner of mine, uh, Lukey, on my left. Um, Lukey's been uh, some something that's been it's been around for a while now. Blockchain technology, it's sort of it's that was the, the genesis for, for cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, Litecoin, a few others that Lukey will probably you know he's he's invested in probably every um, cryptocurrency known to man at the moment. Um, <laughs> But it's 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 now the topic of his thesis. Um, Luke's gone back to university. He's doing his PhD. Um, what, what's the the, field, the exact field that you're doing it in, or is it oh, roughly blockchains? I guess you could say. Sure. It's still a bit ambiguous at the moment. Anyway, so I, like I thought, given you know the market, you know especially financial services, is trying to work out how to use this technology 
you know, it's 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 you know, it's become one of the most secure ways of of you know um, of, of tracking a, a currency as a ledger, um, and obviously the financial services market being a you know a highly sort of um, attacked market from a hacker's point of view of trying to work out how to best utilise it. So I thought, look, I thought you know, look, we're not going to get in, we're not going to go too deep. I mean, look, you know, if we, if we go too deep, I'll, I'll pull Luke back because he can get quite detailed. But um, I thought the first thing that you know, I, I every conversation we have, I, I learn about blockchain a little more and I'm slowly getting to the point where I, I, I have a working understanding of it. Block I, by block. Block by block. <laughs> but I, I thought, you know, first things first, let's explain to our audience what the hell it is because it's going to be a big part of our future. I mean, you certainly believe so. Oh, right? so, 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 Luke, what's your second name? Luke Anderson. Luke Anderson, doing a PhD. Yep, where? PhD at University of Sydney. Yeah, Sydney, in- Uni-Sid. And, uh, and, uh, and blockchain is in which Faculty? Uh, probably computer science. Computer science, Generally. okay. So you're going to be a PhD. So, Fordo, this is the sort of stuff you sort of come across every day? Of course, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so blockchain. If Luke didn't come in today, I was going to defer to Nick. talking about jewellery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, so, uh, so Luke Anderson, you're going to talk to us about this um, new technology called blockchain. But before you do, please explain what Bitcoin is for anyone who may not know what Bitcoin is. Yeah, well... Bitcoin was actually basically... Is it you? Are you the bloke who invented it? I'm oh, not we, the Hang bloke. on. <laughs> we got it. We found it. Satoshi Nakamoto. I'm not Satoshi Nakamoto. I can say that now. No, you could be. I could be, He's but... Pseudonym. Uh, pseudonym, right? I, I assure you I would not be sitting here if that was the case. I would be uh, in the Bahamas or something like that. Uh, with your millions With of my Bitcoins. millions of Bitcoins, yeah. yes. What's the value of a Bitcoin? Now? Well, the value would be going about that. Three in Aussie dollars, maybe? In Aussie, about 500 bucks. Five, Aussie. Wow. So, but let's explain what a Bitcoin It's a digital... Yeah, yeah. So uh, Bitcoin was sort of the first invention of this blockchain technology you're talking about. It's basically internet money, you could say, right? Yeah. But where like PayPal is kind of internet money, um, Bitcoin doesn't have a central authority that controls it, right? Where you have, you know, uh, PayPal decides, you know, what transactions happen, when, why, what and how. Bitcoin is run by a decentralized network of thousands and thousands of computers and they all work together to decide what the history of the currency is. So the software decides. Exactly. There's, a, there's, a, there's a, basically a mathematical protocol that determines whether your transaction gets in and how much money you do or don't have. Okay, so what happens? Let's say I want to I want to buy some Bitcoin, or I want to participate in, in this mm-hmm. Bitcoin environment. What? Do, how do I get in there? Well, the easiest way is just the same way as if you wanted some Japanese yen, you go down to the local stock exchange and you say, "Hey, here's some Aussie dollars. I want some Japanese yen," and the trade's done. Um, just the same way as there's that for for fiat currencies, the same thing exists for well, cryptocurrencies, and there's various so you had, you online had Mount, exchanges. You had Mount Gox, which is gone now. What's what's the major? Sort of um, so one of the ones that Bitcoin. I use is called Poloniex, okay. and it's a US one. Um, yep. But one of the really good ones in Australia is called Coinjar. Sure. Uh, and literally, you can throw use BPay to pay money in, and uh, but you got to send money in, in the first place. Um, well, yeah, it's a currency, so you have to yeah. you have to buy some. Yeah. So so you, so and they take. So let's say I go into Coinjar. Mm-hmm. I register as you have to register. Register your on Coinjar, you, you do. Have, yes, you go and register. Um, and um, I want to buy. Do I buy Bitcoin out of Coinjar? It's Coinjar, okay. yes. You do. So it's like a, a platform, an aggregation sort of platform, an access platform. Yep. So I go and then I say I want to buy a hundred thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin. Yep. Which is you know going to be at five hundred dollars is going to be you know, fifty thousand. Yep. Piece of whatever it is, yep. whatever numbers work. Um. That's not right. But anyway, five five thousand bitcoins. Yeah, yeah, five thousand bitcoins. So, um, uh, and I have to send in a hundred. I have to transfer a hundred thousand dollars into there, right? Yep. Yep. Is there a fee to do it? Yeah. Well, I mean, basically, Coinjar in that sense is a market, mm. right? Like a stock exchange. So yep, yep. They have a buy price and a sell price on on the it's website. Yeah. 
So okay, so uh, there's a buy, uh, bid offer. Yeah, yeah, okay. Exactly. So I, I go and I buy buy these of you know five hundred dollars each, and now I'm in, mm-hmm. right? So what do I do with bitcoins then? Well, just the same thing you do with any other currency. Basically, you can spend it on all kinds of things. Um, Let's say I want to go and buy a, a Nick Fordham's got a, a, um, a BMW for sale, and it's a hundred thousand dollars. Can so, I buy that for hundred grand um, of bitcoins? If Nick decides to accept bitcoins as payment, you certainly can. So does he have to be registered on the other side? He doesn't have to be registered. He just has to accept that if you transfer bitcoins to him, he'll he'll accept them. He doesn't have to be registered with any particular website or anything. He just has to be looking at the blockchain, which is the central ledger that says whether or not he's received them. So how does Nick look at the blockchain? So anyone can go and download this program. It synchronizes with this big network of computers and a and it basically receives the same history that everyone else has all agreed upon. So everyone has a copy of that history locally. So Nick will go into the, the ledger mm-hmm. and he'll see that Mark Boris bought $100,000 worth of Bitcoin mm-hmm. and he'll be also able to see who, who sold it to who. The, the, can you see the whole chain? Well, yes, you can see so You can see the whole chain. Everyone can see the entire history of, of all that, transactions ever to Of occur. that $100,000 transaction? Well, he can see all history of all transactions ever to occur in Bitcoin. But how does he find, how does he know, how does it verify that Mar Boris has 100 grand worth of Bitcoin? Yep, so when I, when you transfer the money into your account, you have this special code yep. that, is, that is your account and he has his special code. Yep. When you want to transfer money to him, you announce the network saying, hey, I want to transfer money to Nick. Mm. Uh, Nick then can see that transaction go across and sees um, that that went to his address. And so what Nick's trying to do is make sure they actually have 100 grand worth of Bitcoin. That's the bottom well, line. He, he would he would accept it once the 100 grand worth of Bitcoin hit his address. Right. So, yeah. but is, and so okay, so... Once Nick's once so but like if I was sending money to Jake through the normal banking system, mm-hmm. um, we've got uh, governments who stand behind the banks. Okay, so That's Jake can have confidence that the hundred thousand dollars that was sent from Westpac to his account at ANZ mm-hmm. is guaranteed by the government banking system. Right, mm-hmm. um, this is not the case in relation to Bitcoin. That's correct. So Nick's guarantee, Nick Fordham's guarantee that I sent the hundred thousand from my account number to his account number. Mm-hmm. Um, is ba- is based in the uh, blockchain technology. Exactly. So he can look into the history and he, when he sees <clears throat> the transaction a few blocks down, he can now go, okay, well, the network has agreed that that money is now mine, so therefore it's, it's got to be. So many, how many computers uh, would be in that network that, that oh, sort of governs Bitcoin? Uh, it's not a necessarily a simple answer, but in the, probably in the hundreds of thousands. Right. Um, I would say at this stage. Okay, so... so okay, um, so... That's, so I understand the transaction. Mm-hmm. Um, we all understand the transaction. It's pretty simple. It's you know it's sort of like a, a digital. Well, it's not a digital version because like money's electronic now anyway. But all money, most money's electronic except for cash. Um, but it's it's about the chain of ownership of the money mm-hmm. that I transferred to Nick and him being satisfied that it was me who who actually had the money. In other words, I didn't hack in mm. and created an account for myself mm. and bullshit transfer to him. So he yeah. knows he's got it. Well, is that what it's about, Luke? Yeah, basically, exactly yeah. right. He has his address, and when uh, when you transfer to him, his program will say, "Yep, you have a hundred thousand dollars now." And he can be, and he can feel satisfied that that's the case. So, one of the great yes. things that came out of Bitcoin is this um, uh, chain blockchain technology. Okay, because mm-hmm. it sort of guarantees, well, it doesn't guarantee, but gives you shows you chain of ownership. Is that right? Yeah. Well, not so much chain of ownership. It's it's more of a just a transaction ledger. At the end of the day, the own, the big innovation around... But you're going to re-explain ledger because we've got people listening, they don't know what you're talking okay, about. Okay, so a ledger is literally just a, a series of transactions. Like you could have, it could be, you could consider it a log. 
a simple log. Um, and there's lots of, like one of the alternative uses of blockchain technology that someone's come up with is when you take a photograph, it takes a special signature of that photograph and places it on the blockchain. So that when you go to your insurer and say, yeah, I took a photograph of this incident, they can't say, well, no, you've made that, you've doctored that, because you can prove that that photograph happened at that particular point in time, because that log entry is stored in the blockchain at that point in time. As long as you've got some sort of entry. Yeah, so when you enter it, they, they record that you've entered it and you can't have doctored it, because there's the photo at that date. Exactly right. So Unless you're doctored before you put it in there. Well, yes, exactly right. So you had once it hits the blockchain, all the the big innovation is that it just stores uh, a sequential history, right? But unlike every other system humans have come up with in the past, there is no central authority to manage that central history. Which which is what the the um, banking system does here. They, exactly. you know, the government has a we have a thing called APRA, and they regulate the flow of money in this country. Mm-hmm. They, they stand behind it all the time. So because effectively. When I draw a check to you, I'm giving you what they call a promissory note. And mm-hmm. what I'm doing is I'm promising to pay you something. And what happens is, and or a, 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 same as a, a, a dollar note, a $10 note or a $50 note, that's a promissory note which the government guarantees. Mm-hmm. The government guarantees that note mm-hmm. that, that they, they, as long as it's not forged. I mean, they're saying that's our note, that's our promise, that if Nick works for 10 hours and gets paid that amount of that, that note and he gets $10 – and he gives it to me, then uh, the government's saying we will promise to honour that thing. So what you're saying is blockchain technology is an alternative to that system. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, basically. It, in, in the case of Bitcoin, they've applied blockchain technology to currencies, and that was the first application, yep. and yet in that case that it does solve the money problem. Yeah, because I'm, I'm just trying to um, open it up and flesh it out a little bit so people can understand. It's quite complicated. I mean, you're doing a PhD. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's quite yeah. complex. So I, got, I, I mean, I, you guys, I, you want to ask us? Yeah, but, no, I actually asked the question, <clears throat> why? Why? Yeah. Um, in, in, no, in terms of if, I've, if Mark, <clears throat> if we had that transaction um, and he's wise me $100,000 worth of Bitcoin, mm-hmm. how do I then relate that to my normal way of thinking of a bank account mm-hmm. and how do I withdraw that money? Or how, do I then just trade that money on for further? You have to find other people who are prepared to deal with you in Bitcoin and you can trade with them. Exactly right. So you, you have your what they call your wallet, which is where, yeah. how, how you access your bitcoins. Yeah. It's basically a secret code. Um, you can once you've received that, yeah, you can trade in bitcoins. But if you want, you know, your fiat currency, your Aussie dollars back, you just go back to an exchange and say, "Hey, here's my bitcoins. I want Aussie dollars back." And they here's, here's the answer to your why, Nico. Is there are a lot of people out there that are scared, like don't believe in the traditional currencies that we've got, yeah. and they're worried about the Aussie dollar. They're worried about the greenback. All this, all this, you know, America printing trillions and trillions of dollars. Where are the fucking greenbacks going to fall over? You know, so wh- wh- where's your, where do you, if you're worried about each government's ability to govern their currency, where do you put your, where do you store your wealth? But equally, on the flip side, Nick Boris, on the flip side of that, to you, Nick Fordham, um, Bitcoin is, also can go up and down, the value of your Bitcoin yeah. can go up and down, and it's, but it's a more of a simple market regula- regulated currency. It's not because of politics and wars mm. and... It's more about demand and supply sort of thing. And, which is and, mostly yeah. about China at the moment. And that, 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 that's, yeah. my, that's my, that's, you know, when I argue with Luke about this, that's my aversion to, to, to blockchain. Well, I like blockchain te- technology, but that's my aversion to it being applied as a currency because, like, you know, Luke will tell you in a minute, it, there isn't just Bitcoin now. There's all sorts of cryptocurrencies. And the more and more and they become- cryptocurrencies that, that pop up, the less valuable <clears throat> Bitcoin becomes, right, because you're spreading the user base. Over ten, you like know, everything. suddenly you don't have um, demand for Bitcoin anymore. You have got demand spread across Litecoin, Ethereum. 
or what do they call it, ethers? Um, yeah, ether, dash coin. So, okay, yeah. so we, 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 I, I'm trying to give you so much. I started with Bitcoin. So what are all the other ones? Give us the names, some of the other exchanges. Well, so not so much exchanges. exchanges the, the actual uh, currency, pro, pro, currency I should say. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Other currencies. So Bitcoin sort of was invented, was the first sort of one, and then people came along, it was open source, so they could look at all the code that runs it, and they said, well, you know what? I'm going to make my own. So at that moment, they could just create another one. They called it Litecoin, changed a little bit here, changed a little bit there, and they started their own up. Um, the only thing that makes it special is just the, the slight code changes. Um, I mean, obviously, when they first start out, they're worth zero. Once people start wanting them, the price just goes Does up. Does any of these become better or they're all the same? Yeah, well, things like, so we talk about blockchains. In Bitcoin, a block, the time of a block is about 10 minutes. So it takes about 10, 20 minutes to resolve a transaction. Litecoins is about two and a half minutes. So it resolves transactions right. quicker, for example. Is that just because you've got more firepower in the computing system? Uh, no, simpler, or? no, it's because that's how the algorithm <coughs> actually specifies it to occur. Okay, but well why can't blockchain? Uh, why can't Bitcoin's blockchain technology just re-specify later? Um, because basically, when Bitcoin was in instantiated, when it was created, they defined that to have a ten-minute block time, and that's right. the algorithm. Um, and that is, and then it's very, very difficult to change the algorithm once it started. Right. Okay. It's just difficult to change the algorithm. Extremely difficult. That's that's the idea about it. Well, it's change. such a huge. Like, think about all the transactions that have gone through that need to sort of be what re rejigged or like. Exactly. If you wanted to trade, <laughs> exactly. That's and that's the, the catch. If you wanted to go and change a transaction that happened two weeks ago, you have to change that block, and then you have to change every block that was generated subsequently from that block right, because there's a dependency change. And the more it's been used, the harder it gets. Exactly, because you have to recalculate all of them and recalculate them is extremely difficult. Yeah, right. So, so let's let's talk more about how sort of more specific to what you're doing at uni and like the blockchain technology, the application of blockchain technology in other industries oh, well, in other areas like, you know, in financial services security, um, some of the stuff that Ethereum's doing where you mm. – yeah, I mean, what, what the, the conversation we had last night, you know, around, um, you know – you know, the Ethereum. And smart contracts. And, and smart like contracts. I mean, how does, how does that all work? Well, well, first of all, I'd, I'd mention um, blockchains in general, right? There's been a lot yeah. of fuss in the financial industry and stuff around, you know, blockchains, this, blockchain, that. And blockchain does solve some really specific problems. Um, and, and I think it re has really good implications in the financial industry for settlement and these sorts of things. Um, but I do think that a lot of people are creating blockchains for this and blockchains for that that really just don't need blockchains. They just need traditional solutions. Um, so it is a bit of a hype around at the moment. So I don't think it's great to just jump on board with this stuff all the time. Um, but one, one aspect that is really, uh, really promising that, that's come up is um, this concept of smart contracts. So where I told you that a moment ago that when I have a Bitcoin transaction, I'm just transferring money from A to B. Mm. At the end of the day, it's a very, very simple logical step. The logical step is the money now goes from me to you, signed by Luke, right? <coughs> one thing that there's a technology called Ethereum that basically extends this concept into what's called a smart contract, where a, tr a transaction between me and you is no longer just sending money, but can actually represent arbitrary logic, right? So what happens is we publish this smart contract into the blockchain, mm. right? And the smart contract basically has a bunch of code that governs its existence, basically, mm. right? It has a bunch of inputs, a bunch of information stored with it, and a bunch of outputs. When I want to interact with this you know, smart contract, I can publish a transaction to the blockchain and that transact that smart contract will register that, you know, I have interacted with it. So what, what are some of the applications, like the practical applications of these well, contracts? So there's one, one really interesting one is um, called uh, Augur, which is a, a, a place where you can, you know, you can bet on the outcome of real world events happening or not happening. Like who's the next presidential election? Who's the 
going to be the next president of the United States. Yep. Right? You and I could both, you know, lots of millions of people could bet on what that is. And if you made a good bet, then you, you might win out of that. Now, in a traditional scenario, and that sort of taps into the common knowledge of the crowd, yep. right? Now, for that system to exist um, in current, in, before, without blockchain technology, you have to have an organization that manages that, right? That, you know, checks, you know, does it actually happen and takes in all the bets. In the, in the scenario of a smart contract... But that already, that already happens. I mean, you that, can't, that you can't have a bet on the presidential election. That does happen, right? But it's all managed centrally. Yeah. Um, and one of the things, that, which means you have to trust someone in order to interact with that system. One of the things that uh, Ethereum achieves is that it means that you don't have to trust anymore. You can see the code that runs that and you know that no one's going to run away with your money. Sure. A, a really simple example I, like, I like to bring up of that is called Lotto Polo or you know, Chicken Lottery. And someone made a smart contract that says, and then they loaded 100 Ether. Ether is this currency, the internal currency. They loaded 100 Ether into this smart contract and said, right, if nobody loads one Ether into this smart contract for 24 hours, it will pay out its entire balance to the last person who had to put the money in. Mm. Right? Very, very, very simple program. Um, I told this to my friend and she said, Luke, that's a scam. Right? People are going to load their money and load their money in and the guy who wrote that thing is just going to run away with everyone's money. And I said, well, you know what? Every time in history, that's, that, that is quite a likely outcome. But now, this smart contract that is holding this money is governed by its own code that is published. Nobody mm. has control over that anymore. And in, in, in some senses, it's now its own autonomous entity. Um, so no, it's not a scam and it can't be cheated. And I think that's a good illustration of you know, something that Ethereum can achieve that humanity hasn't been able to achieve. Because before. you're saying the person who started this, sort of loaded this... Uh, this game up mm -hmm. um, doesn't have control of who's the last person. They don't have control of the last person. They, also, they don't even know. Well, they don't know who it is. They don't know who it's going to be. If they want to be the last person, which is how they scam it, mm -hmm. they got to win. They, they've actually got to be the last person. They've actually got to and be the last person. And the only adjudicator of the last person is the smart contract. Exactly, which they no longer have control over the after code. their authorship. Right. So the, the smart contract actually is the, la is the final arbitrator. Mm. And because that smart contract's not running on a server somewhere that they can manipulate, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? It's that's the way it and is. It's running on everyone's computer. Exactly, everyone. And on anyone's computer. Correct. Everyone's computer. Everyone's computer in the network so all runs the same. In order to manipulate it, you'd have to manipulate everyone. Exactly, which is absurd. Possible. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe I shouldn't say it's impossible. Implausible. Yeah, implausible is probably a better way. But uh, there's probably going to be some technology at some stage where they they will be able to do this. But um, well, that would be an interesting day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, mate, blockchain's an interesting day. So if you've got blockchain, you can have the, the flip side of it. So that, that's that. And so, what are you doing in your PhD? So, I mean, why do you explain to people what does a PhD student do? Well, uh, that's a hugely variable answer. Uh, my my friend who's doing a PhD in particle physics does a very different set of daily tasks to me. Um, equally interesting particle physics. Oh, very very interesting. Um, a lot more mathematically. Are they expensive. working? Is that person doing the particle physics working in that new facility in Sydney University? Yes, which is yeah, working for those two, that American guy, uh, the, one of the professors, American guy. Um, and, sure and an Aussie guy. Um, uh, Benjamin Eggleton. And they got that big grant from the government, $100 million. They just opened up the new facility. Yeah, that new facility. I yeah, toured I it two weeks ago. Yeah, he works in that building. Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. Oh, cool. Okay, so um, so what are you doing? Yeah, so a PhD student. Um, I mean, at the moment we're looking to write uh, write some papers and submit um, some papers to a conference in the near future. We're actually trying to look at not just the blockchain and the history of uh, the blockchain, but actually how that blockchain is generated on, on the fly. And we're hoping to find some interesting clues and information about the actual generation of that blockchain that allow, allow us to, you know, just learn a bit more about how people are using the network. 
So is it being used? I mean, is blockchain technology it's popular outside of Bitcoin? But absolutely. Like- so um, on on Poloniex, which is the exchange that I use to trade Ether, um, Ether's not uh, just another currency. Ether is is this currency for this smart contract system yep. that I'm talking about, Ethereum. Um, and on this exchange um, that I've been trading with, the price of uh, Ethereum has gone from about 98 cents US to about $2.50 US over the last couple of weeks. Whoa. And they were trading about 6 million US dollars in 24 hours just for that currency on that one exchange. Why? Why is there such demand? Um, because there's a lot of nerds around there who think, who realize that, that this <laughs> stuff is bloody awesome. Um, and then the cool thing I find very interesting about this is that there is no graphical client yet. This is a very actually brand new technology. They only started this in the last couple of months. Mm. There is no graphical client. You, it would be quite difficult to inter- interface with this stuff if you're not a computer nerd at the moment. Mm. They're currently developing that client. Um, and, and even though it's not released, the price is still skyrocketing. So I'm very, very interested to see what when happens. When he says graphical client, he means like there's no interface for a lay person to get on there, mm. like you and I, and click buttons and say, okay, Why? buy that, buy this. Because it's a new technology. And the first thing when you're a nerd is you develop the, the sort of text base interface first because that's easy to make. And then once you get that working well, then you develop this pretty interface with buttons and, you know, whizzy things. Um, and, and that's not really even out yet. And this currency is already exploding. So I can't wait till that actually comes out and the lay sort of technologists can get their hands on this stuff. Because then the price should go up. Well, mm. exactly. In theory. So, I mean, is there some, so look, tell me, is there some sort of big dark world of uh, people who sort of live in your environment and. Uh, Silk you know, Road. And, it's very and, dark. And have, and have all these unusual names and sort of uh, nicknames and stuff like that. And they're sort of playing around computers in these dark rooms and never sort of see the light of day. You look like one of these guys. I am one of those guys. And actually, what is it now? It's, what, 8.30 a.m.? I'm yeah. usually asleep at this time. Yeah, uh, seriously? Absolutely. No, yeah. my, my sleeping pattern is to go to sleep about 2 or 3 a.m., wake up about 11 a.m. So day. you're up You're up doing what all night? Tell me, tell me what you do. Well, I have... I mean, don't really Nick, Nick's seen my setup. I have, it's like a bloody... Uh, <laughs> a, a, you could launch a space shuttle in his room or something, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I have, I have a good four computer screens, and I like I like I sit up there pretty late. But um, what are you doing? Like, tell, like, I mean, <laughs> all kinds of stuff. All at the moment, I've been just porn. Tra- yeah, <laughs> that's what the four screens are for. That's yeah. only when Nico comes over. Yeah, yeah. exactly. No, um, I mean all four screens. Porn. <laughs> it was me. Four oh, yeah. different videos. <laughs> no, but no, seriously, like you yeah. know, like I mean, well, obviously you've watched every like, all the latest movies, and you haven't actually been into a movie theater. Well, I actually, I'm actually not much of a movie person, just because I've got so many projects on the run at the moment that I, I don't have the time for it. But um, you know, trading, you find me trading Ethereum and playing with cryptocurrencies lately, um, and coding. I like I code up a lot of websites and systems for my people. Luke was actually so. mining uh, a cryptocurrency called oh, Litecoin for a while. It's, I didn't, still didn't, am. didn't turn. Still it, yeah, he's still going, but it, the. The return is diminishing because as you – maybe you can elaborate, Luke, but, uh, you know, yeah, this thing called for, – for validating and for um, and for um, analysing the transactions that go through from the block, you actually get paid in the cryptocurrency. So yeah, Who's paying you? So that, so that network that I said that it sort of helps to create this blockchain, that's actually comprised of a – you know, those thousands and thousands of computers I mentioned are actually very specialised computers and they're all working to solve a very specialised mathematical problem that is dis- is distinct to the particular blockchain. Um, so they, they're all spending all this power, and people talk about Bitcoin and how much power it consumes. It does consume an enormous amount of power um, in order to run. Uh, so these miners... Uh, you mean computing power or electronic? Computing electric. power, which, which draws an enormous amount of electrical right, power, yeah. Right. Um, so I'm basically participating as one of these miners for, uh, for uh, Litecoin and Ethereum. Yeah. And how much do you pay for the gear? Yeah. 
Uh, I think we've spent between, we, between we, four we, we spent about ten thousand US dollars on the Litecoin miner, um, yeah. but uh, that and the, and the turns out of, that was a bad investment because the guys in Sweden <laughs> screwed us over. And uh, oh yeah, and and yeah. The, and the amount of money that you've generated in you know Aussie dollar terms. Oh, maybe in Aussie dollars, probably only in the last what year we've only made about two and a half, three grand back. So. <laughs> Not looking good. Yeah, <laughs> that, the value of Litecoin as well. The value of Litecoin dropped okay. considerably. That was that was the the big risk that we took. Are you the look? You the guy who used to work for Matt Barry? Yes. yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, Matt Barry, freelancer. Yeah, I worked at freelancer for about a bit over three years. Right. Okay. Because yeah. Matt's um, one of our uh, uh, Uber pitch Uber pitch guys. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. He's, and Sid Star, you probably knew we did the Sid Star thing with him this uh, last year, I should say. Yeah, I did hear. About um, and uh, and uh, I guess the world of um, uh, programming. Which is your sort of basic skill? Your, your yeah, ba- you your, could say that's a it's good way gone to, way beyond skill. freelancer. Yeah. yeah, core skill. It's gone way, way beyond the freelancer days of when <laughs> you know you, you were sort of trying to build communities and uh, connect yeah. people. I mean, it's it's got like it's moving at a very fast rate, isn't it? Oh, Fascinating, insane, insane rate. The, the 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 amount of LinkedIn requests and stuff I get at the moment is just absolutely off the charts. I mean, where does this all end up? Where does it, where where? I mean, what do you see? I mean. Blockchain technology allow where, where give me some sort of absurd examples of where you in a vision sense might you think we might be seeing blockchain technology See, blockchain. applied. Well, I mean, the cypherpunk in me, which is a, a term that says you know people who use crypto to free people, you know, say that you know well there's this currency that nobody controls and anyone can interact with and transfer money across the world instantly, and that's going to liberate us all from the government, and we're going to be you know autonomous. And I think that's all a bit. I think that's a bit bit far fetched to be honest. I think. It's going to be this cool buzzword. It's going to be this cool technology that does pop out some really interesting use cases that the financial industry are going to, you know, pull on board. And it's going to actually quite revolution a lot of their backhouse systems. Do you think um, it'll be mainstream currency? I don't think it'll be mainstream currency um, in the near future. I especially yeah. don't think that's going to be the case in first world countries, right? We have great institutions. We can trust the Australian dollar to do what we want it to do, mm. right? It's places like Venezuela mm. where they don't trust their dollar, and they do not, and their, dollars, and their institutions yeah. are all ripping them off. It's these places where we're going to see Bitcoin stuff take off. And we've already seen that with China. They, I looked the other day at uh, the trades of Bitcoin to fiat currencies. Mm. 97.95% of currency was going to the Chinese one. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, they're artificially devaluing their currency at the moment. So, I mean, mm. you can't really trust the Chinese government which, to do which is one the of the right big, thing with your money. Exactly, which is one yeah, of the big yeah. things that uh, Bitcoin really does is that you know, US Treasury supply or whatever, they can go and add a whole bunch of currency overnight if they want to. Whereas with Bitcoin, it's more like gold. You actually have to mine it. And there is a preset schedule that is defined by mathematics mm. of how many Bitcoins can exist in the system. It's limited. And, and that then that um, schedule of release is that is capped at 21 million yeah, yeah, so it's limited. for Bitcoins. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's interesting when you say mi- like the mining, because like, that's where the value for, for gold comes, right? You've got to go and find it, which is hard to do, and then you've got to get it out of the ground, and you've got to um, you know, smelt it down. And that's why they call it, it mining. A, turn it into a coin, and that's the value you've created. That's why you are entitled to owning that that dollar piece. Mm, exactly. And, that, and, and when we mentioned miners, I had those yeah. miners. And you've the, done, equal, I mean, people that mine Bitcoins are doing Equally. Very well, similar. Uh, similar work. So, right? they, so they're doing work. Yeah. New currency that's yeah. introduced, new bitcoins that are minted into existence mm. are done so by miners, and that's yep. actually awarded to the miners. So who's the Lang Han- going to be the Lang Hancock of um, Bitcoin? The Lang Hancock. Or the various currencies. Oh, he's the, uh, he's the Gina Reinhardt's father. Lang, Lang yeah. Hancock, he got an aeroplane, you know, like 40, 50 years ago, flew over, the, you know, parts of... Pilbara. 
Western Australia and uh, look, basically looked out his window in the day with no GPS, just looked out his window hoping to find uh, prospects and then eventually he found the prospects and as a result of that he found the biggest iron ore deposits in the world mm. and they now own it. But he put all the effort in. Yeah, what are those twins that had the Facebook The Winklevoss guys. The Winklevoss guys. Yeah. They invested a huge amount of money into Bitcoin in the early yeah. days. How about that dude who lost the uh, the bloody, the dude who lost the Bitcoins in, yep. in, the, in the garbage dump He on a hard drive? He had Bitcoins on a hard drive. And, in the uh, early days when they were worth like three cents or yeah. something. Yeah, and what did he do? Did he purposefully throw it out or did no, he just No, he was just it? like, oh, so in the early yeah. days, it started in 2009, right? Yeah. So it didn't get popular like like any real value until about 2011. Mm. So in those couple of years, people started experimenting with it and playing with it and then they're like, oh, yeah, whatever, Bitcoin, yeah. whatever. Um, he remembered uh, that he had some Bitcoins uh, a couple of years later when they were worth about yeah. three or 400 US each. Yeah. I went, oh, my God. Total sum of about four or five million bucks. Millions of dollars that I'd yeah. thrown out in my old computer a couple well, he, of months He ago. just deleted them. No, he, he was in a, he, it was actually he, in a garbage dump and he went to the garbage computer, dump. Yeah. And he was, the he computer was, was. The computer was. Yeah. He'd thrown out his old computer and then he went, oh, my God, and he went back to the garbage dump and started Is it because he needed to get his ID? Yeah, so to, in order for you to transfer bitcoins, you need your what's called your private key, which mm-hmm. is your secret. So he didn't ha- he lost that with his computer. It was and, on his computer, and for him to access those bitcoins, he needed that back. Old-fashioned bit of piece of paper and a pen might have helped at the time. He could have written it down. In fact, in <laughs> yeah. fact, that's exactly how I back up my yeah. my bitcoin wallets. And where's your piece of papers? Where you hide those? I would not disclose. disclose <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere in his house, he's got little bits of paper, little stuff uh, under, his, under, 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 under his porn stash. Yeah, 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 exactly. So in other words, you're doing exactly what everyone used to do. They just put cash under the pillow. You've got your, your cash is your little... It's got his algorithm. Uh, yeah, a slightly more sophisticated way of splitting them up, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> you have to find all it, of them. Okay, yeah, that, that sounds sort of stuff's fascinating. I, I, I look, I appreciate you coming. I, I, yeah. I, I've got one more thing I want to just quickly yeah, yeah, talk about. Yeah. Um, and, and you might find this interesting, Luke, too, and uh, you know, I'm sure you will, um, because it's sort of the diametrically opposed, or maybe it's the genesis of where Bitcoin came from, but and, and therefore the blockchain technology. Um I last I was reading Gina Reinhardt's book from uh, Red Carpet to uh, uh, fr- sorry from Red Tape to Red Carpet. And it's one of she put out a couple of books. Gina Reinhardt, we just talked about her her father. Um, you know, is richest woman in Australia, or now the second richest woman in Australia because the you know value of mine Good commodities mine. and mine's gone yeah. down a bit. But it doesn't matter. Um, it'll uh, go back up. Yeah, it'll go back up by much more. But. She wrote a book about she, – she's very passionate about uh, small businesses in Australia and um, how much red tape we have to endure. And I was reading in there that there's, you know, our GDP, our, our, our gross domestic product in Australia is around about $1.6 trillion a year. And Deloitte's put out a report, which she keeps referring to, that says that we spend in Australia around $250 billion on red tape. It, sorry, it costs us around two hundred fifty billion a year, mm. which is like you know sixteen percent or something like that of total GDP, which is just ridiculous. Tripping um, over ourselves, uh, correct. Yeah. And she's saying that we should go and take um, lessons from the new Indian government or the new Prime Minister, which is who was Modi, and how he has gone about in a place like India and just freed up the place. And he, she used his terminology from red tape to red carpet. That's what Modi's view is. You know, and if you've got a hundred, less than 100 employees, there is no regulation. You can do whatever you want. You can just open up shop. Don't forget a licence, sell coffee, put chairs out there at 4 o'clock oh, in the yeah. morning yeah. instead of having to wait till 7 a.m., you know, or the local council. Otherwise, you get arrested for putting your chairs out there at one minute to 7 instead of 7 a.m. Yeah. And 
you know, blockchain technology and Bitcoin, it's sort of like a, it's sort of revolutionary stuff in that um, it's sort of going against the system, you know, and sort of what she's sort of professing is she's not quite saying let's sort of have a revolution, but she's sort of saying we need to do something as a country, something about the red tape in this country, the regulatory environment. Even if you work in the, 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 the cops and you're a cop, and you're trying to do your job and you're trying to, you know, arrest drug dealers or terrorists or something like that, you still have to go through a whole lot of red tape. You know, you can't do this, you can't say that, you can't employ this person. You, If you put them on, if you get someone in the undercover unit working after eight hours, they have to have two hours off and they have to have, a, you know, a, a, extra money at a certain time and you've got budgets. It's just absolutely mind-boggling the sort of red tape that we have in this country. It's mm. just mind-boggling and small businesses in this country deserve a lot better. What do you say we spend each year on? Two hundred and fifty billion. Yeah, it costs us. It costs us. I mean, like bass statements. Yeah, you know all the bass stuff. Well, we collect yeah. the, the tax for the government, and we yeah, have absolutely. to prepare. And if you don't get it in on time, you get penalised. Yeah. But you're actually doing the government a favour. Yeah. And you think that's only money? You think yeah. time? Well, what, imagine what time the time and the and, and by the way, the stress and the worry and yeah. uh, all the issues. Like if this country is Completely so agree. regulated; it's ridiculous. It's the most beautiful country in the world. There's no better place. But if you're a small business person. In the end, you say, too this hard. is all too fucking hard. Yeah. And I'll go and work for somebody. Yeah. You know, like, and I'll get paid to manage this red tape as opposed <laughs> to, yeah. you know, in my country. You know, like, if, 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 what I'm saying is if 16% of the GDP is spent on red tape, then probably if you're a small business owner, and assuming that um, small business contributes to 60% of the GDP, actually they don't, they contribute to 40% of GDP. So that means small business is 40% GDP, they're spending a lot more than their 16% of their time on the red tape stuff. They're probably spending like 50% of their time on red tape, regulatory stuff, regulatory stuff. For example, I know Nick's brothers, two of his older brothers, um, they have a, they, years ago they had a bar down the road here and they didn't put out, um, they, to have a bar, you have to have a licence, obviously you've got to be licensed and, they, and they, they rented out the bar one night to somebody, somebody held a function there, it was one of the beer companies held a function. It was a pop-up thing, Yeah, it was, yeah. Oh, no, yeah. It had, it was a pop-up there and so they rented out to one of the beer companies. The beer company had a big, big winding on there and it was great. They were getting, the boys are going to get paid for the use of the premises or something like that. Sure. And of course everyone got over exuberant, it was probably around Christmas time and everybody was on the footpath drinking and stuff like that. So, of course, the licensing police arrived and, uh, you know, all dressed up in, like, riot gear and stuff like that, started ushering people. Not, not my boys' problem, you know, the boys are fine. Then they owned the accommodation hotel next door. Um, that, of course, the cops wanted to see the licence. The boys have did have a licence. It was properly licensed, but they didn't have the licence displayed. Now, the regulation says you must have it on display. They got fined seven grand. Now, not just... Small to, business. Yeah, small grand. business. Yeah. Not because they didn't have a licence... And in a day where you've got, you know, really the point of um, being licensed is to make sure that you run a proper premises, right? So in a a digital age, surely there must be a register which the cops could have gone bang, 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 oh, yeah, they're licensed, we won't worry about those guys. Mm. But the fact they got fined seven grand for not having the licence on display... Feels Which like there is, are too many of these dickheads out there as well that, that work in these organisations. Well, you know, it's, like I mean, why can't the guy? I mean, obviously they weren't. Yeah, but doing discretion, yes, I know, I get that, Nick. But I mean, but you know, equally, the, the your brothers probably gave a bit of cheek. Yeah, and uh, they might have deserved it. I'm sure they did. Yeah. But but, th- but and and that's that's a different issue. That's pitting man against man. Yeah. The issue was these the cops itself. should not have yeah. have to do, even ask for it. Yeah, yeah, sure. The policy in the first itself, place, yeah. and the policy is written by someone sitting in the legislature who hasn't got a fucking clue. What it takes to run a small business. Yeah, yeah. So rego stickers. Now they're like, oh, we don't need rego stickers anymore. Well, that's right. Yeah, but if you don't have your rego sticker on, 
yeah. before you used to get fined. Yeah. Because they, but now you don't need it because they can just take a photo of your thing and it goes straight to the system. It comes out, you see, card registered in the name of Nick Boris. So, but the regulatory environment, that's just an example, but the regulatory environment in this country has got out of control. Yeah. It's and just madness. Mind, mind you, it's not the licensing police. We can't blame them because they're just doing their job. Mind you, then they've got to go back to their office and file that and file hours and hours of Correct. paperwork that then goes to someone else. So, I, I think it would be something great as well with the show, Nico, to to maybe let's get something out to small business and get more small business people in here and find mm. out what's holding them back because when you talk about, I mean, some cafes that I go to of, you know, when they've just opened up and they've spent great money on the fit out and they've got great staff and everything else, it takes them six months to get approval for outdoor seating. Oh, it's ridiculous. And you think, well, that's revenue for them, you know, seven days a week. They're open at 6 a.m., they close at 5 p.m., and they've got to wait that amount of time. So you think of loss of earnings. And you put if they put any seats out or they even put milk crates out, they come the fun police come past and they find them. You know, in a cafe just selling coffee and toasted sandwiches and they cop a fine, like a seven grand fine. It's, or it's so arbitrary. They can put them out of business. It's so arbitrary. I mean, like, I, I mean, I, I'm currently down the road at Potts Point and you cannot get a cup of coffee anywhere in Potts Point before seven AM, seven days a week. Well, 7 a.m., like, you know, I'm up at 4.30, 5 o'clock. It's like, I want to get a cup of coffee. Well, yeah. i got to, okay. But, mate, there's business for somebody, and if I can give him business, then he can employ another person. And we're talking about unemployment numbers, and then the Reserve Bank's up there talking about the Australian economy. I mean, if you want things to crank in this country, you need to give people an opportunity to make more money, to make more revenue, and in the only yeah. way, and then they'll employ more people, which will make you know, which will make the whole country prosper. You know, we deregulate. I mean, I'm not saying we've got to go and do what Modi's gone and done because in India, you know, like you're going to get an abuse of power and people are going to start rotting other people and all sort of stuff. We're going to have this 7-Eleven issue. You know, remember the 7-Eleven guy we introduced? I'm not promoting that, but I am saying, for God's sake, somewhere between what Modi's done and what we're currently... Because I think we're the opposite end of the spectrum. Mm. I think Australia represents... But it works, right? They're pumping. So is China, because China does the same. Mate, they are pumping and and they've got a great middle class and they're going to do... They they have growth every year. I mean, one of the things that holds back our... Get, stops us from getting 3.25. I don't know how someone could put a number on it, but I'll guarantee is regulatory environment. People are too scared to open a business. We should, and we should be, honestly, like it's it's relative to the, I know we, we're up there in terms of global GDP, but we're still, you know, if China can grow 8% on, on you know, 10 trillion, surely we can grow better than 3% on 1.5. Well, we, 100%. We're growing off a fairly small base here, you know, like. And, and people spend yeah. here too, but yeah. people, people people will buy coffee at six in the morning. Yeah. Simple common sense. And I don't, I just don't understand. I mean, I yeah. keep coming back to the coffee example, but it's, and it's, it's not not the, there are. Th- it'd be yeah. great to get people to come send stuff into our email. Be oh, there'd be thousands of. I mean, thousands of uh, examples of where regulation has stopped people from running business, or even probably said to someone, "This is too hard. I'm not even going to open that business up." I mean, like, I don't know, Jake. Have you got any regulatory environment in your business, your industry, sound oh. engineer? Just my GST, collecting GST for the government and my quarterly reporting, but other than that... But it's an asshole, isn't it? It's a pain in the butt. Yeah. And, you know, every time I take a job, I've got to put 10% aside, separate bank accounts, um, have to do my own books or employ an accountant. Expensive employing accounts And then every four months, the government requires me to follow that up. They don't chase me for it. So you're sole, log when you're a sole trader, that's a lot, like, yeah. or like you know, you you know, one man PT Wales. But, why, but, yeah, yeah. but when you like, think about it, why should the government it's time consuming. be making making yeah. Jake collect their money? Not just that. Like I mean, you at know, least we, give me a commission. If, you, if you're, if yeah, you're, no, you should get paid for you it. Know, like yeah. if I'm collecting ten percent GST, 
Give me, let me keep one. Why is it Jake's issue? Yeah. Why does Jake? I mean, all right, one yeah, thing yeah. he should collect, it gets paid. He should, he should got to send it somewhere. There, maybe, maybe Luke is some blockchain technology that you can think of. That can actually Luke and uh, when Jake that ten percent comes in, it just goes straight to the government somehow. Yeah. I don't know, but there he should not only ha- he shouldn't have to spend money to do it. That's right. Mm. Or time. Or time. And then it requires yeah. me to have a bank account that charges fees. Like if I could use Bitcoin to bypass my bank to mm. work that out, yeah. I mean, it's just, just, it's just ridiculously, I, I don't understand it. And, I mean, the other one's superannuation. I mean, like, that's the greatest taxable time. Employers, you go to employ somebody today, they say, yeah, I want, a, I want 50 grand plus super. You, the employer, are paying that. Mm. That plus, that's 8 9%. That, yeah. You're paying that. That's a tax. That's just a tax straight up to the employer. And you've got to keep the superannuation counts. You've got to make sure the money yeah. you put in there. No one cares about the like you know. They, no one cares about the gross number. They want the net number. You know, Correct. They, they, they're thinking about how much do I get to take, take home. home. What, yeah. what have I got to use to pay my mortgage? Sixty-five. Like, yeah. they, they're not thinking about that. They're just yeah, saying, yeah. "Oh, that's thanks very much for that." And then, you know, the yeah. government says, oh, "We're going to put up to twelve percent." Yeah, but who's going to pay the twelve percent? The government's not going to pay. Well, GST it. might go up as well. They're talking about putting the GST up as well. You know, yeah, I know. I I was actually going to say um, maybe we should dig into this next week, but I, I think we should dedicate a few shows to this and get, let's get some people in, let's get some small business in and, sure. and start talking about... Start the TMBS what, lobby. Why you not? Know, do, do, why the, not? Do, do the show at the front of state, uh, out of Parliament or the Lord Mayor's office. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, bloody yeah. <laughs> out, front, out front of Reserve <laughs> Bank. T- town Hall, wasn't it? Oh, Reserve Bank. APRA. <laughs> I've been not going to do it in front of APRA. I run a financial services business and we, get, <laughs> and we get a license, so we've got to be careful. Or ASIC. We've got an ASIC license. And, that, and by, by the way, that's the ultimate... That's the ultimate for them because nobody wants to complain. So Gina Reinhart can because she's so bloody rich, no one's going to do anything to her. But most people don't want to complain or say anything about it because you're scared that they've, they've got this licence. Mm. You've got this licence hanging over your head. You know, like in my case, financial service, we've got an AFSL licence and all our partners have got AFSL licence and banking licence or ADI licence, Australian Deposit Taking Institution licences. And that one piece of paper is your whole future. If you don't have that licence, you are completely stuffed. You Mm. cannot operate in this environment. You'll go to jail. So, you you know, you're always thinking to yourself, I don't want to make too much noise here because I I could get outed, I could get into trouble. They'll send an audit team in and investigate you. This guy's causing trouble. We better send a team in and have a look at him. Now, which is sort of at a a different level, if you're a, a liquor, you know, running a liquor environment, they can send a team in, you know, the licensing police can just arrive on your door and if you give too, cause too much trouble, you say too much. I don't mean if you're running the licence wrongly. I'm talking if you just say too much about this. We've got to be careful in this country. You, everyone's scared to say too much. We, and we don't have a voice. None of the small businesses are represented. No one represents them. There's no union for small business owners in this country. There's a, there's a, I saw an association of but they small don't, they've businesses. But they're toothless. They've got nothing going. Yeah, like they exactly. don't have a... They can't, they don't have yeah, a, you're right. There's right. nothing behind... There's no big backing behind You wouldn't know who the, 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 the person who runs that is. I mean, yep. you've never seen them on television. No, definitely not. They're not an advocate no, or a no. consumer. We, you know, we have yeah. consumer protection They're not behaving groups. properly. They're not doing the right thing in that role anyway. I mean, they're, 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 not, just doing, they're not doing enough in that role. association. I mean, Gina Reinhardt is, you know, one of the... You know, what's interesting, she considers herself as a small business owner. Now, you know, she has a massive revenue royalty-wise, um, massive revenue royalty-wise, but she takes a view that she's still a small business owner. Mm. She, in other words, she says, I'm not a bank. I'm not a BHP. I'm not Rio. Um, I, I am Gina Reinhart running our business. And she, by the way, she does run her business with a nine fist. 
you know, and she knows everything about her business. Yeah, exactly. She's in. She's she's the one leading and moving that business. And she said, "There's not an overlay of fucking bureaucracy over it that doesn't do anything." And she said, yeah. and she says in a book that uh, one of the mines that they were trying to set up and operate, and they were investing hundreds and hundreds of millions and billions of dollars into it. She said, it took them as long to get the mine open as it did to get the licenses just to get that set up. And she wow. said, unless it was someone like us, her her group, mm. most people would have, wouldn't have got there. Yeah, exactly. They would have given up. They wouldn't have been able to afford to keep doing it. Go broke in the process. And, and of course, she's a massive employer. Yeah. And not only is she a massive employer, she invests billions of dollars in, in capital, her capital, um, into the system. Mm. And it helps, it helps local people. It helps the Northern Territory government. It helps our Aboriginal communities. And, of course, it exports minerals to our biggest uh, mineral um, importer, which is China. So maybe we should start doing this sort of stuff because, I mean, if it's good enough for me right now to talk about it, it's good enough for us to talk about it. Let's cover it next week. Okay, cool. cool. Okay, guys, thanks very much. Uh, we now we know we're covering next week, so we don't need a, right. uh, an outro <laughs> as opposed to the intro. So that's it. It's done. See you guys. This has been the Mark Boris Podcast. You can follow Mark on Twitter, at Mark Boris, and find out more at markboris.com.au. Listener.